Welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. We'll do the Bible reading, which comes from Jeremiah chapter 32. So if you have your phones and want to flick to that, or you can just follow along on the screen. So here we go, Jeremiah 32. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, the army of the king of Babylon, was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says. I am about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians, but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, And he will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of um, Shalom, your uncle is is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Anoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field at Anoth in the territory of Benjamin. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field at Anoth from my cousin Hanamel and waited out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on scales. I took the deed of purchase and sealed the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy. And I gave this deed to Baruch, son of Nerau, the son of Marcia, and in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so that they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Now, for those of you who've forgotten, we are in that series of Jeremiah, and we've been looking at the different sign acts that Jeremiah has been doing. And so far, Murray smashed a pot. I've carried a yoke last week. Before that, I buried my underwear. And then this, and this is, I guess, Jeremiah's third and final purchase sign act. If you remember back to when I buried the the loin, the linen belt on stage, or when Murray smashed that pot. What, what Jeremiah was doing in those, he was buying something that was useful. The linen belt there to, you know, protect your modesty, to hold your, your garments together. A pot is there, obviously, to store things. It's, he bought these things that had a purpose, and then he does something to make them useless. Now, here on the eve of the siege of Babylon, now let's... Think about siege conditions. Kind of read that like, oh yeah, the Babylonian army had Jerusalem surrounded. 
all these reports from ancient documents we find is just siege conditions were terrible. Now, Jerusalem's a walled city. And what happens when an army is surrounding a walled city? It comes like an island. So you have no food, no supplies, water starts to run out, costs of living go up. Uh, remember 2020 when all the toilet paper disappeared? Siege warfare is like that, but on steroids. There's reports of parents selling their children to get money. The Bible describes just the horror of siege lifestyle. People would have been terrified. People would have been anxious. People would have been starving. It's a bit like, I said in the past, this, buying land at this time would be like investing in shares for a VHS player in the streaming age. What a stupid investment. And at the time when Jeremiah buys his cousin's land, it's on the eve. The Babylonians are about to break through those walls and take over Jerusalem. What I love about this third and final purchase sign that Jeremiah does, he actually takes something that's useless and gives it life, gives it hope, gives it a deeper meaning. Jeremiah as a book, it's probably not something that you would read with a new or exploring Christian. It's a book full of harsh judgments. It's quite repetitive, and that's a bit of an ancient way of showing it something's important for us. It's like, oh my goodness, yeah, I've heard this once. I don't need to hear it again. But it's just repetition after repetition of the sin of Jerusalem. Repetition after repetition that the Babylonian army is coming to destroy Jerusalem. It can get a bit overwhelming. And you just feel like this book just has nothing good to offer. But here in Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah offers us some hope. Hope in the form of a pot. A pot with a scroll in it. And that scroll, friends, is what you're meant to look for. In the midst of this siege warfare, in the midst of just hopelessness, it's like, well, one day, one day. And what does Jeremiah say? He says here, one day, this land, there'll be houses, fields, and vineyards will be bought in this land once more. That may not seem like that at all. In the midst of horrors and just uncertainty, how, how can you think about a, a hopeful future? Especially from a prophet like Jeremiah, where all he's done is just prophesied judgment after judgment after judgment. But here, Jeremiah gives us this great symbol of hope, which I forgot to bring in today, a pot. But you can imagine, probably all know what a pot looks like. Uh, it's probably the, probably the least exciting sign act that he did, sticking a scroll into a pot. Now, what's really cool from, I guess, an Old Testament point of view is what Hanamel asked Jeremiah to do is something that's tied in with Leviticus. Now, in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 25 to 31, we're told here when, because property was owned by men in those times, when a man became poor and he was in risk of losing his land to either credit because he'd made some poor decisions or something terrible had happened, he was at risk of losing the land. Now, for us, land is a bit like, okay, we buy and sell land all the time. Now, when Rachel and I bought our first house five years ago, yeah, 2018, that's five years ago, 
there's this sense of, yeah, this is really exciting. We, we were excited. There's a picture of us, you know, the obligatory, here we are next to the sold sign, all kind of smiles. But deep down, we knew this wasn't our forever home. This wasn't family land. This is just a transaction we do. It's a roof over our heads. It's something exciting, but it's just for a season. The Israelites, there was no buying and selling land. Land was tied in with Yahweh's promises to you. Abraham was told, hey, you're going to have many descendants and they're going to own this land. And if you've ever read the book of Joshua, you read the exciting parts where there's lots of warfare. You read the back end, it's just description after description of tribal land. And we all go, eh, flick over that, we don't care. For the Israelites, that's the important part. That is where Yahweh's promise to you is seen. For a lack of a better word, it's a slice of heaven. This piece of farmland, this is your inheritance. This is God's promise to you. And so what had to happen is in Israel is that the land needed to stay within family clans. You couldn't just buy it and sell it to random people. It needed to remain in the family because that family had been promised this land from Yahweh. And so what Hanamel is doing, for whatever reason it may be, either he made some stupid financial decisions, maybe he's terrified about the Babylonians coming in and losing his land. He asks Jeremiah to redeem this land. That's cool here. Land is really tied in with a relationship with God. It's probably something that we just can't comprehend, the, the importance of land to worshipping Yahweh. And so in this micro, microcosm Jeremiah acts like Yahweh, a redeemer. Because he redeems this land. The sign that this little piece of farmland in this little backward town of Anoth, which probably doesn't even exist today, that farmland's probably been built over, this little slice of my family's inheritance, this is a microcosm of what God is going to do in the future. That God is going to be a redeemer and bring all the Israelites back into the land, the land of promise, the land of hope. But despite being told what to do, even Jeremiah has just a sense of know, anxiousness. Is that the right word? Know, he, he prays this lovely prayer, which I don't have on the screen, unfortunately. He prays this beautiful prayer from, from verse 16. He declares about the sovereignty of God. He recognizes that nothing is impossible for God. Through God, everything is possible. He celebrates Yahweh who delivered the Israelites from Egypt. Yahweh, the one who is the creator and the sustainer over all this world. One who gave this promise to Abraham and all the descendants about being in the land. But as he kind of concludes his prayer, it's like, hey, God, like you do see the siege ramps that are here in the city. You see that there's sword, famine and plague that this city is going to be given over to the Babylonians. You see that, right? Now, Jeremiah sense he has great faith in God, but also goes, well, how is this land going to be redeemed? So that's what I love about Jeremiah, is that he, he's very faithful on the outside, but we get a glimpse into him. Even though he performs exactly what God tells him to do, redeems this land, even within him, even though he's trusting God, he's still going, but... Yeah, how are you going to do this? And then the rest of chapter 32, God basically responds back 
to him. And God acknowledges, yeah, yeah, I, nothing is impossible for me. Nothing is too hard for me. And he gives a big history about why the Israelites uh, are getting what they're getting with the Babylonians. Again, that repetition, which for us is like, oh, we've already heard this once, but for the ancients, it's so important to highlight the importance of this. And he comes down to the end here. So if you have your phones, because I don't have it on the screen there, from about, that's Jeremiah 32 from 37. It says here, I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I'll bring them back to this place and let them live in safety and they will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and their children after them. I'll make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and soul. Beautiful language. And God goes on a bit more about what the land will look like. Again, he kind of repeats what Jeremiah said about, about land having vineyards and houses and fields being used again. But I want to just focus on those words there. In, in, chap, in verse 40 of chapter 32, he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And again in verse 41, he says, I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land for my heart and soul. When I said repetition is important, God says that twice. I'll never stop doing good for them. Sometimes it's easy to see in Jeremiah, and God even talks about having wrath and anger. Perhaps even our own view of God is a God who's that's angry or like a hard principle, someone that just wants to whack us because of our sin. And God's anger against sin and evil is because God hates injustice. That's the core of Jeremiah's message is that the Israelites are getting what they're getting because they have done something terrible. They have repeatedly committed acts of violent injustice and God's a God of justice now will be paid for but ultimately God's heart is to do good for his people I mean God doesn't want people to be exiled God doesn't want people to be disassociated from their land he wants them back in that promised land he wants them to live in fruitfulness and I love that there. He says, I rejoice in doing good for them. Surely plant them in this land. Image of growth. He wants his people to grow. He wants his people to flourish. Now Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it uh, should be there on the screen, quote from him. And he, in 1943, um, just before he was imprisoned um, for standing up to the Nazis, Bonhoeffer wrote a letter um, to his fiancée, Maria. And uh, can you imagine living in Nazi Germany, 1943? And you're probably uh, one of the few lone voices standing up to the Nazis. Lu um, Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor. He had the churches who were supporting Hitler's ideology. He had most society supporting him, but here is Bonhoeffer. And I love what he writes here to Maria. 
When Jeremiah said in his people hour of direst needs that houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land, it was a token of confidence in the future. That requires faith. And may God grant, it, grant us it daily. I don't mean the faith that flees the world, but the faith that endures in the world and loves and remains true to the world in spite of all the hardship it brings. Our marriage must be yes to God's earth. It must strengthen our resolve to do and accomplish something on earth. I fear that Christians who venture to stand on earth on only one leg will stand in heaven on one leg too. What are you saying there? Roundabout way is God's desire for salvation is this time and space. Can't just be like, oh well, this world's terrible. I can't wait to flee to some sort of spiritual earthly existence. He's encouraging Maria, hey, we don't flee from this world. We endure this world. Look for those signs. Look for that pot. And Bonhoeffer doesn't use this language. I'm st- but look to the pot. That's what Jeremiah did. When he made that promise about houses and vineyards and fields, life happening on these lands, the symbol of that in the midst of the darkness was that pot with the two scrolls in it. That's what he's encouraging her to look for. And it's a very different response. So five years later, English poet W.H. Auden, he wrote a book called The Age of Anxiety, which at the time won a Pulitzer Prize for its poetry. And then Auden writes about how, how do you find identity in a world that was just, in, just shifting and becoming increasingly industrialized. And think about it. If you lived in the 1940s, if you, were about, you would have lived through potentially two world wars, a worldwide influenza pandemic, the Depression all these events in the space of 40 years. His response to that is just this sort of secular view of how you deal with identity and change in, in a shifting world. Whereas Bonhoeffer goes back to Scripture. Hey, remember what Jeremiah said? Remember what he said in the direst hour of need? Houses, fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. For him, they are tokens of confidence in the future. I love that language. That's actually a question for a small group to reflect upon this week. Because our, our life is fragile. Think of how much has shifted socially, politically, spiritually, just in Australian culture in the last 30 years. Think of how much has shifted globally. There can be this fear of, oh my goodness, like, what are we going to do when we start to lose, particularly churches, we're losing power, losing influence? One is when governments start to shift, when political ideologies start to change, we can start to fear. And Jeremiah lived through the most uprooting change you could imagine. We're living terrible, absolutely terrible to endure what he endured. Also, too, which I forgot to mention, he was in prison at that time of buying this land. So not only was Jerusalem about to be destroyed, he's also in prison. There he points people to the pot, to the land that he has purchased. See, friends, we can't flee from this world. Our faith calls us to endure. And as Christians, we have a deeper sign of hope than just a piece of farmland in a little village of Anoth. 
us, we can look to a number of signs. The empty tomb and the nail-pierced hands of Jesus, his nail-pierced feet and that side that was pierced for that spear. Because they are symbols of what Jesus endured. They're symbols of his resurrection. To borrow language from other parts of the New Testament, Jesus is the first fruits of the harvest to come. In the midst of darkness and despair, uh, uncertainty about what the future is holding, for us we can look to Jesus and say, well, if Jesus died and is now ruling and reigning and resurrected, look to that empty tomb. That is a symbol of hope. That's a symbol of earthly hope. Jeremiah, he wasn't just talking about some time and space world floating in the clouds. For him, what was he talking about? Houses, fields, vineyards, life returning in its fullest. That's what Jesus is going to do. One day when he does return, everything that we love about life be exemplified. That's probably one of my hot tips for everyone here, if you're struggling to find a sign, think of the thing that you love the most in this world. And for me, it is creation. And time and time again, when uh, it was Ash's Hospital Stay, Rachel's Hospital Stay, other things I struggled with, often found just staring at a tree, for me, was just a wonderful sign of hope. Because in that tree, saw God's wisdom manifested. God as creator. God as sustainer. God as saviour. Tree, tree imagery, Jesus. I mean, that's a symbol of like, well, I love this tree. I love creation. Imagine what God's going to do with that even more in the future. I think all of us similarly have things that we can look to, little signs, little pots with scrolls in them to show us, hey, God's promises are going to come true even in the darkest of darkest times. Ultimately, the, the exile um, of Jerusalem points to Guess a greater exile, that exile of Jesus. And it's interesting just how much Jesus' life mirrored the journey of the Israelites. Let's reflect upon even his death. Where was Jesus crucified? Was it in the city or outside the city? It was outside, wasn't it? Yeah, a little bit like an exile. Jesus was killed outside the city. He was buried in a tomb outside the city. And what happens? When he's resurrected, he goes back into the city. And what's Jesus going to do? Where is he going to return to? The new Jerusalem, back into the city. And why we can spiritualize this a bit and say, hey, just like those exiles were shifted off to Babylon for 70 years to live in hardship and heartache, and that they did return to the land, so friends, one day we will return. Because Jesus will come back. Jesus will offer every single promise that we have been longing for. I love it here in Jeremiah 32, verse 38. God says, They will be my people, and I will be their God. Yeah, life is tough. Some of us, we have many hurdles to overcome. Maybe sickness, financial, mental. Some of us, life is kind of cruisy. Life is pretty good right now. Whatever stage... You are in. Friends, can I encourage you? Have that pot of hope to look for. What is your pot with the scroll in it? 
The reason why the Bible uses symbols a lot, because symbols give us a picture of something to cling to. Because in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the difficulties of life, having that symbol of hope to look forward to will help us persevere through the darkness, through the despair, and the anxiety. And when we think God has just forgotten us completely, it's a reminder. God hasn't, God hasn't left us, nor has he forsaken us. Friends, let me pray us together. Yeah, Lord, as we have just unpacked your word and stood on that holy ground of your word. I'm just seeing what you called Jeremiah to do. That final purchase sign act of buying something useless, ultimately pointing to it becoming useful. And Lord, for us, yeah, we, we live in a different time, a different space with different challenges to Jeremiah. Each of us, Lord, I think we I identify with the challenges of life, identify when the metaphorical siege is around us. And Lord, I pray you just give us the faith and the perseverance to cling on to the hope of your promises and to see those promises ultimately filled in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We know if Jesus has died and is ruling and reigning, Jesus will return one day to fulfill his promises for us. And Lord, I ask that you just give us that, yeah, your spirit to help us cling on to that in the midst of the darkness and despair. And Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.